This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. All right, here we are. This is Big Sky Lead. I'm Tom Bridge. Here today with me is Holly Michaels and Seaborn Larson. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Holly? Yeah, so my name's Holly Michaels. Like you said, I am the bureau chief for the Montana State News Bureau. That's Lee Newspapers, group of four reporters that are covering state government and politics in Helena and across Montana. How about you, Seaborn? I'm Seaborn Larson. I'm the new state news reporter uh, here in Helena at the new state news bureau. What what sort of uh, reporting will you contribute to the uh, state news team, Seaborn? I'm here in sort of an investigative role. I, I'm really looking forward to looking at uh, justice-related agencies and state government, whether that's the prison system or the Department of Justice or the Supreme Court where it applies and I'm also looking forward to coverage of recreational marijuana implementation. Well, here we are a week before the upcoming legislative session. Um, Let's talk about where we are with that, Holly, and um, what conversations have been like leading up to the start of the session, which is next week. Yeah, so I think a big question that everyone's had, I went back and looked at coverage we've done since March, is what the legislature is going to look like this year. They meet January 4th, and we're in a pandemic. So I think there have been a lot of questions about how that's going to happen. How do you have a gathering? There's 150 legislators in Montana. How do you do that safely in a pandemic with an airborne virus? And it's something that lawmakers have really been struggling with all summer long. There was a legislative council, which is a group of leadership from both parties that's been meeting you know, off and on, and they've been kicking around ideas, but really never solidified anything. They came up with this idea of this hybrid session. Um, And that's what we eventually ended up with in a meeting in mid-December where it's a legislative joint rules committee, which are the rules committee from the House and Senate. And they make the rules that sort of govern how the Senate or how the legislature operates. So that's everything from just procedural stuff of how votes work and how bills move through to this year, these huge questions of how lawmakers gather. So where they landed is that you have the option to participate remotely. It sounds like a lot of Democrats are leaning toward that, but we don't know that for sure yet. Well, most Republicans are going to come gather in the Capitol. Republicans hold the majority. There are 98 of the 150 legislators. So we're still going to have a pretty significant presence in the Capitol when the session kicks off. And then you throw you know, lobbyists into the mix, public reporters like us. It's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this all comes off. So with that being said, what what's this going to look like? I mean, I know we don't know really how much how it will conceive itself yet because they haven't gathered and made decisions, but um, what's it looking like? 
That I mean, that's kind of the big question to be determined. You know, we there is this hybrid model, and under these rules, there's a COVID panel that will meet, but they don't actually exist yet until lawmakers are sworn in and pass these rules. And then when that panel meets, they're going to have broad authority over things that could include you know, what capacity looks like in the Capitol, given you know case counts, maybe in Lewis and Clark County, other things that might inform their work. But you know, a lot of that's not super clear. I sat on a call with lobbyists about two or three days after legislators voted for this approach to the session. And they had a lot of these same questions, you know, can I come testify in person? What happens if I'm testifying over Zoom or some other platform? You know, what's the order? How is it going to work? There's a lot of people. What about if there's technical difficulties? And a lot of those questions, there really just weren't answers to yet. Um, can you, what are some of the concerns um, from both sides of the political spectrum about um, either having a session um, that's virtual or having a full in-person session. What are some of the people saying on both sides? What are they arguing for? What are they arguing against? Yeah, I, you kind of bring up a good point that I should have clarified earlier. You know, there is a really strong political divide in the ideas around how the session should be held. Republicans have made clear that they want to be there in person. They feel like they can't effectively govern and represent their constituents if they're not physically there doing that work. They've also been you know, resistant from what we've seen so far in you know, caucus meetings and some of these rule meetings to wearing masks. There's maybe a handful I've seen masking up regularly. There's been some nod to distancing measures. You know, there's signs on desks and stuff, but you know, that's not always followed. You still see people huddling closely. But, you know, like I said, Republicans, their argument is they feel like, you know, doing things normally how you would in a non-pandemic was what makes them effective lawmakers to represent the voters in their districts. Democrats are saying you know, that they feel like the protocols in place are really, really being reactive, you know, to be in place to respond to COVID spreading through the legislature to people getting sick or that concern instead of proactive and just not gathering people to remove the risk of that happening. Um, you know, they've really tried to push things, you know, at the bare minimum, they've talked about mask mandate or distancing mandate, which Republicans have said could get dealt with when this panel finally meets. You know, the, the first things they were hoping for is to you know, either delay the session or hold it entirely remotely, which is what you know, the health officer in Lewis and Clark County also asked for them to do. So that's kind of the lay of the land of where things stand. So the Capitol is in Lewis and Clark County and the session happens in the Capitol. Um, maybe it might be helpful for folks um, to give them a roadmap of understanding why uh, restrictions uh, in place in Lewis and Clark County don't actually pertain to the legislators themselves. Yeah, so this is a really complex issue that the legislators sort of top attorney got into in this pretty long document he produced over the summer that kind of laid out the arguments, but ultimately said at the end, it would probably take a court case to you know, really get firm, um, you know, to clarify exactly what's going on here. But the deal is legislators have a little bit of different status because they're elected officials. And in the you know, state law and constitution, they have, they, for one, they have legislative immunity when they're conducting legislative business. So, you know, they're not under 
the mandates from that perspective, they also, through their rules process, have control over what happens in their chambers and can pretty much govern the rules. So that makes them exempt from those county directives and the state directives like the mass mandate we're under right now while they're in legislative chambers and conducting legislative business. Where it gets really complex is you know, the Capitol is a public building and you've got members of the public coming in and out, lobbyists, media. So you've got you know, that population interacting with this population that is in some ways exempt from these rules and can write their own rules. There's also a discussion, and I'm not quite sure, it's, I don't think anyone's really sure where this is at, but in terms of holding some meetings offsite, not at the Capitol, you know, in the House or Senate chambers or in meeting rooms to be able to accommodate for social distancing. And those spaces, it's not clear, but it sounds like those wouldn't fall under some of the special provisions that the legislature has when they're in the Capitol building. Interesting. Uh, Seaborn, let's let's hear from you. You 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 recently um, wrote a story about a survey sent to legislators. Uh, tell me what some of those responses were and, and what your reporting around that was. Yeah, you know, last week we had learned that uh, Senate leadership had sent out a survey to all state senators to get their temperature on things like mask wearing and social distancing and how they felt about daily screening. And this came the weekend after lawmakers had voted down mandates to require those things to make sure that those things were going to happen in the Capitol. And I think the most surprising thing in those results, once we got to see them, was how many Republicans were willing to put in this internal survey that they were willing to do these things. And my question was whether Republican senators we're voting in a way that is more congruent with their voters against mandates like masks and social distancing, but saying privately that they would be willing to do those things. So when I put that question to Senate President Pro Temp Jason Ellsworth, he said that's not the case. He said the vote was more about making sure there were no mandates for people to do things like masking and social distancing and precautions that uh, are mandates as soon as you step outside the Capitol building, but that he wants, that he believes the results say that senators want to have their own choice on whether to, whether or not they want to take part in those things. Of the 22 Republican senators that responded, all 18 answered in the affirmative when they were asked whether social distancing should be used as much as possible. Almost all Republicans said they would be willing to wear masks around the Capitol. Obviously, that's not what we saw during the Rules Committee weeks earlier. And so there's certainly some deviation or some diversity on those opinions within the Republican Party. But I think it's going to be interesting to see once the session ramps up what that actually looks like, whether or not these survey results will actually reflect what lawmakers do in the Capitol. Yeah, I guess uh, only time will tell. We'll see next week if you know, the actions of legislators parallel the responses in that survey. Uh, let's switch gears. We've got other um, big news uh, in the state uh, starting January 1st, and you've been covering it um, pretty extensively over the last couple of days in Lee newspapers. Why don't you tell us about um, the legalization of cannabis coming coming up here, Seaborn? There's some big changes coming uh, in terms of people's ability to possess, uh, grow, transport cannabis. 
that actually becomes legal January 1st of 2021. That's probably the biggest change people will see from legalization in the in the short term. That's uh, possession up to an ounce of marijuana or eight grams of concentrates. You can actually uh, transport it around the state and you can purchase it, although state law at this point with the passage of Initiative 190, that was the ballot initiative that legalized marijuana uh, in November. The state law says that anyone can purchase marijuana, but it doesn't allow anybody to actually sell marijuana. That the effect there is that essentially the state and law enforcement will have to turn a blind eye to the black market, to the low level black market, while the legislature in the next couple months shapes up what the legalization landscape will look like in this state. There's a lot to be determined with the Department of Revenue, with what kind of uh, enforcement will still be in place and what kind of things will remain legal after the session. There's not a lot of love for legal cannabis in the Republican Party. They're pretty hesitant about how they want to embrace it, but um, those who had expressed some thought about repealing it earlier have said this last week that they uh, don't plan to do that with the statewide appeal that it had at the polls in November. I'd like to go back to something you just said, Seaborn. Um, have you spoken with any law enforcement about what this is going to look like after January 1st and, and where their heads are at on this? Yeah, the law enforcement officials I spoke to, that's in uh, Gallatin County and Flathead County, uh, both said that they are um, trying to kind of learn about this on the fly and learn what, what, where they need to boost up enforcement. Gallatin County Sheriff Brian Gukin told me he's looking to train more drug recognition experts to look out for things like DUIs. DUI, marijuana DUIs are entirely different from uh, drinking and driving DUIs just because, you know, somebody can be tested on the spot with a breathalyzer for alcohol, but Marijuana remains in your system for weeks, sometimes after it's been consumed. So um, testing someone for it on the spot doesn't have the same accuracy. So there are there is training some law enforcement can get to kind of identify when someone is presently high. The other thing uh, Flathead County Sheriff Brian Hano told me was that he's looking to basically boost up education in schools about this. He's more worried about, uh, or maybe not more worried, but certainly worried about um, exposure to children in terms of marijuana and how, uh, how it will affect that part of the community. It's something um, I think law enforcement is going to have to learn about on the fly. What does this all mean for people who are currently incarcerated with uh, marijuana-related charges? So I think at this point, the at, on January 1, people will be able to start expunging their misdemeanor marijuana crimes uh, or convictions, sorry. I think for the most part, I would be surprised to see, at least in any uh, populated part of the state, that anyone is actually jailed on a misdemeanor marijuana charge right now. Uh, the Flathead County Sheriff told me that he uh, hasn't seen these, this level of marijuana charge as a priority in recent years, but also um, a, there's one Helena attorney who told me um, she's happy to start this expungement process for a number of her clients just because that charge on your record can mean that maybe you don't uh, get the housing application that you wanted 
return to you, or maybe you don't get the job that you were looking for that you need just because you've got this misdemeanor marijuana possession charge. And so that is a big change that starts January 1, and we're really interested to see how uh, many cases get filed. The Montana uh, Supreme Court administrator told me yesterday uh, there was about 990 such charges convicted in 2019 in the Montana's judicial districts across the state. So since 2017, marijuana possession has been its own misdemeanor charge on the side. And so this has uh, potential to touch several thousand people uh, in the expungement process. So there's clearly a lot of questions um, that people are asking about what this means um, as it pertains to state government. Uh, and it sounds like the legislature is tasked with answering a lot of those questions, um, and they haven't yet. Tell us about how that process works and what maybe a timeline um, that the legislature will be operating under and the rest of state government will be operating under as this goes forward. Yeah, there's a big push to uh, get this industry shaped up before the end of the session because in October, the Department of Revenue will be, will be able to begin accepting applications for marijuana businesses, uh, those applications would, if if accepted, um, allow businesses to start selling recreational cannabis on January 1, 2022. And so the the way this is going to come out is, is super unknown right now. There's 45 bill drafts um, been filed for the state legislatures of both sides. Um, I spoke to uh, one tribal member who's also a Republican Senator, Jason Small, who hopes that somehow uh, tribes will be able to get in on this new business enterprise, this new business opportunity. They're not allowed to uh, grow and sell cannabis on the reservation because of their tribal affiliations, but um, he's trying to find some kind of workaround just to allow uh, access to this market, which is projected to be around a quarter billion dollars by its fourth year in action. One thing, Seaborn, that I'm super curious about, and I think you can speak to this pretty well from your reporting, is I'm curious about the revenue that this is expected to generate for the state, and especially with the budget shortfall that we're expected to see from COVID. And I'm wondering if legislators are looking at that money and you know, understanding it's probably going to be a bigger pot down the road once this is really up and running. But what are you hearing about where that money might go? It seemed, if I remember right, that it was a pretty big part of the discussion during the election cycle and that this money could help support public lands. And I know that's much different now after some things have you know, kind of changed since then. But I wonder if you can kind of walk through what the what the revenue picture might look like. Yeah, I think that's a great question. The Revenue projections that state economists at the Bureau of Business and Economic Research put out earlier this year uh, projected that in its first year, recreational marijuana could uh, bring in around $43 million in tax revenue to the state. Now, Ballot Initiative 190 had laid out some uh, directions for that tax revenue to go, including public lands, I think, was the biggest chunk of that. Uh, they're looking at veteran services, law enforcement, I think even kicking back some money to local governments that allow recreational sales in their counties or cities. Um, 
a lawsuit filed directly after the passage of I-90, I-190, uh, sought to void it actually because the or their claim is that the ballot initiatives aren't allowed in the Montana State Constitution to appropriate funds from uh, citizen brought initiatives. That case was originally brought to the Supreme Court and immediately dismissed, almost immediately, because the Supreme Court had said this isn't the avenue to go. You'll have to file this state this lawsuit in state district court if you want to if you want to get a judge's opinion on it right away. That lawsuit was then filed in Lewis and Clark County District Court, and uh, the defendants on that case have not weren't served until December fourteenth, and they filed no response. And we've seen no hearings on that. But obviously, the money that is expected to come in from recreational cannabis is uh, nothing to sneeze at. I know. Whitney Tawney, the new executive director of Montana Conservation Voters, told me yesterday that um, even though they had come out for in support of recreational cannabis back when it was an understanding that public lands would get this a big share of this money, um, she's planning to dispatch her group to the legislature in the coming months to fight for that money so it still goes towards public lands things like opening access and taking care of trail maintenance in a year where land or public land use has just exploded due to the coronavirus, people wanting to get outside and not be stuck in their homes when they live in such a place with such access. Thanks, Seaborn. Yeah, folks, if uh, cannabis policy is a hot topic issue for you, keep an eye on Seaborn Larson's byline in Lee newspapers going forward. He will be providing uh, the inner workings of how that's going to play out as time goes on. Uh, before we close today, um, I'd like to get a uh, comment from both of you guys about what we're looking for as the session starts next week. Uh, Holly, maybe let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think like most people, what I'm really watching for is how things look with COVID, you know, starting Monday when they're swearing in, how many people are there in person? What does that look like? Is there distancing? Just it's going to be so much more different than what we've seen before with this. And then you know, right away, we're going to see legislatures come in. You know, I, They're going to probably approve the rules that they have created to start that COVID panel going. And then they'll meet, I think, probably pretty quick to start looking at you know, protocols that might be in place. I think another interesting thing we're looking for is that on the House side, they're actually they normally update their rules, make some changes that sort of tweak with balance of power stuff every session. Republicans weren't able to get consensus on what they wanted those rule changes to be. So there's actually no proposed rules at, you know, no new proposed rules at this point on the House side. And we might see some action there when legislators come in. There's also you know, rumblings about the speaker election in the House right now. It's Representative Wiley Galt, a Republican from Martinsdale. He won through caucus vote the uh, speakership with a pretty tight margin. And you know, he's sort of seen as representing a little bit more of moderate Republican flavor versus you know conservative or further right. And there's been some rumblings that that vote might not hold up when the House comes into session and votes for him. But with Democrats voting, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. But I think he'll be elected speaker. But that's one we're watching for sure pretty closely. And then for me, I think state budget 
is really going to, like it does every session, but dominate a lot. You know, shortfalls from COVID, how we manage that. We've got new Republican Governor Greg Gianforte, who campaigned really hard on what he said was you know, just holding the line on state spending. So you know, I don't know if we're going to see many new policies, programs pushed through this year. And you know, other Republicans I've talked to have talked about trying to look at ways to trim up state agencies. You know, what they're saying is there's some fat within those, you know, divisions, programs that aren't really successful that should be looked at. So with the Republican governor, I think we're going to see a lot more movement there than we have in sessions past. What about you, Seaborn? I'm really looking forward to just uh, trying to get a lay of the landscape at the early set. This will be my first legislative session uh as a reporter as a full-time reporter in helena and so things i'm trying to look out for is what criminal justice reform might look like or if such measures that have been passed in the last couple of years maybe get scaled back agencies like the office of public defender and the department of corrections are always chronically underfunded and so whether or not those departments get a boost to hopefully see more success out of those agencies in the coming years i think is going to be really important and then obviously uh, marijuana implementation, I think is gonna be really dynamic. There's the tax revenue, there's the criminal justice aspect. Um, there's a lot of people trying to get into that new revenue stream. And so I'm hoping to uh, sit on top of that and see what I can see. One thing that I also thought of that I think is gonna be really interesting this session is, like I said before, we do have a Republican governor for the first time in 16 years and there's been a whole lot of bills that Republicans have brought that have met a veto pen at the end of the line. You know, there's social bills. Abortion is one that really comes to mind. Um, you know, just tax cuts that Republicans have tried to push that, you know, outgoing Democratic Governor Steve Bullock and former Brian Schweitzer vetoed. So I'm really curious to see if a lot of those bills get brought right away in this session. You know, conversation I've had with a lot of lawmakers is asking them how much they think COVID's going to suck up all the air in the room and ban with this session. Some think that the budget discussion is going to be the majority, some think, you know, they can walk and chew gum at the same time they're saying that we should expect to see a lot of these bills that Republicans are really eager to see passed hit Gianforte's desk. I think that'll be really interesting to see sort of what those bills get brought as some of the ones that are viewed as a little more extreme. For some people, that's right to work legislation. If those are brought this session or not, I think will be really interesting to see where Republicans land there. All right. Thanks, Holly Seaborn. I think that gives folks um, a lot to chew on as the session um, comes closer and closer. Uh, this is the first episode of Big Sky Lead. So as you know, uh, if you want to keep this coming into your headphones, give us a follow, give us a subscribe uh, anywhere podcasts around. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.